Welcome to the More Than a Club podcast with Marty Cuprian and Bill Lane. Welcome to More Than a Club podcast, episode seven. I'm your host, Bill Leahy, along with Coach Marty Cuprian, Youth Director here at NXT Sports. Happy New Year to all, and we welcome our listeners back to yet another episode where we dive into youth sports and the cross topics. But before I turn things over to Coach Coop, I wanted to thank all of our loyal listeners our show keeps growing. We've had some five-star reviews, positive text messages, emails, and lots of great feedback. So please keep it coming. We value your opinions and your thoughts. Coach Coop showed me an article recently on podcasting, and it discussed benchmarks and, and how to celebrate your success. And so by all measures, our timeline has been moving along. We have over 1,500 downloads, and we're way ahead of schedule on every front. So we're very grateful to all our listeners. Um, keep spreading the word, and we continue to hope to bring you a high-quality show. Coach Coop? Thanks, Bill. We're in the exciting time of the new year where box lacrosse is our current focus with our club kids. In the addition of being busy with the next box crew, I'm having a lot of fun getting back to the high school coaching side of things. I'm already anxious for the spring season, and today we're excited to talk with another fantastic guest who we can all learn from and continue to root for both locally and professionally with the PLL. Thanks, Coop. Marty and I are thrilled to have with us today an old friend and a former Wings player, great teammate, and an excellent lacrosse coach, Coach Bates from Drexel University and then on to Princeton, now at Episcopal Academy here in Philly, and the current head coach of the Archers of the PLL. So, Coach, welcome. Thanks, guys. Excited to spend some time with both of you. Thanks, Chris. I've been a big fan of Chris's since his days with the Wings um, and also... I went to Delaware when he was coaching at Drexel. A lot of my best friends are Drexel guys who he has meant a lot to. So I wanted to give a quick shout out to West Philly's Finest and any of those guys if they're listening. Gotta love it. (laughs) For our youth sports hot topic today, we're going to talk about the word accountability. Uh, It came up in conversation recently with Coach Leahy. I was asking him how he deals with his own kids and helping them be more accountable for themselves. And he actually led me to look up the dictionary definition. And the dictionary definition of the word accountable is required or expected to justify actions or decisions. Responsibility was another related word. So I wanted to talk to you guys, both as coaches and parents, about how you help kids learn about accountability. I think I'll jump in here as a guidance counselor. It's kind of what I do all day long with teenage boys at LaSalle. And the idea of accountability at first jumps out to a counselor as the word ownership. It's kind of how do you own your, your being as a young athlete. And I see it all the time where parents are frustrated. They say, I, I want Timmy to, to be owning his decisions. And I can't believe he forgot his ice skates again for hockey practice. And Parents are born into what's called a double bind. It's a a term used in family therapy. And double bind means we want them to grow up, and yet it's by our very nature as parents to protect them when they make mistakes. And so one of my favorite stories was years ago, there was a, a student who couldn't remember his ice skates, and he was a hockey player. And the parents were just so frustrated. They say, we go all the way to the ice rink and we open up the bag and everything's in there except the skates because he puts them on the back porch to air them out. And then I drive all the way home and I get them and I bring them on back. Right there, that's a double bind. And so they want him to grow up, but they're bailing him out from his decision um, about the ice skates that he forgot. And so it was interesting. The mom said, well, what do we do? How do I, how do I handle this? And I said, the idea of ownership <clears throat> is for him to make decisions and come up with solutions for this. So we asked him, we said, what do you think you need to do differently to remember your skates? And funny enough, he said, I I won't remember my skates. However, I got some backup plans. (laughs) One is to put 20 bucks in my bag, my hockey bag, (laughs) so I can rent them from the pro shop. The other is I'm going to put my backup skates in there all the time. And that way, if I forget them, I have my skates. And so then looking at mom, we were able to say, is that ownership enough for you? Is we've now put him in a place to make choices to grow up, and he did. However, if you, if you keep running home for him, or in a smaller sense, keep speaking for them, then they never find their voice, and they can't own their decisions. And sometimes they have to eat their mistakes, and you grow from that. When I think about the term accountability, I think about the word commitment, 
and you know what that means as a parent you know sticking to your guns as as you you know kind of just said and i remember back when i was thinking about this i remember being in, in second grade and and um you know, having an after-school program choice, and I chose exercise or something like that that sounded like it'd be fun and, and you know, energetic, but, you know, soon to find out when I showed up, uh, it basically was tumbling, and I was the only boy as a second grader. Um, fast forward the next week, I go, I get on the bus, and I, subconsciously or not, you know, I, I, I had, was skipping tumbling, <laughs> and I got home, and I remember very distinctly, my mom said, let's go, we're getting in the car, we're going back. Um, you know, she, I'm sure I protested and I'm sure, uh, you know, gave my best sales pitch why I wasn't, wasn't wanting to go back. But, you know, to this day, I remember that moment where she said, no, you've made a commitment to something. You're going to be accountable to it. Uh, you know, we're going back. And and I think that as a parent, you know, you, you have to stick to your guns and, you know, the moral of the story, my mom ultimately let me change what the after school activity was, but the lesson I think, you know, stuck with me for, for a long time. How about advocating, Coach, the young men you work with at Episcopal, the idea that they have to advocate for their own concerns or their playing time or their disagreements with you? <laughs> or struggling in a class or something like that? Well, the, the term ownership is the one that, that I keep coming back to because, you know, parents want to solve problems for their kids. Um, you know, and I think setting real, whatever endeavor, I think you have to set realistic expectations for your kid. You have to support them, but then they have to own the process and they have to own the outcome. And if that's clear, then I think everybody's on the same page. So part of that then becomes as a parent, I'm not going to advocate. I have to teach a young man to say, well, if I didn't do well on that test or I'm not getting the playing time that I feel like I deserve, what are the tools you're going to use to, to, to solve that? You know, I'll help guide you, but at the end of the day, you have to own it. You have to act and advocate. Yeah, and by learning to advocate, they learn to speak up. And in doing so, they find their voice. I like young men, whether I agree or not. I like that they're speaking for themselves. My wife always says when we take, especially when the kids were younger, take them to the doctor, let them speak for themselves. It's their body. We're there. We're listening. We can chime in when they screw up or don't say Um, what we're worried about and what we see. However, if you don't let them order their own ski tickets at the ski lift and don't let them speak for their body or talk to the cash register merchant when they're buying their clothes, then how do they ever find their own voice to grow into it when they're older? Great job with that topic, guys. So now we'll talk about a little coaching topic, our insight of the week. Coach Leahy wants to talk about shooting. Thanks, Coach. So shooting is our topic. I'm thrilled to have Coach Bates here to discuss this. Having been a player at Loyal College for Dave Cottle, he always said shooting is a choice. There's a big difference between throwing the ball at the goal. That's not shooting. He also would let us have it if we missed 36 square feet since the goal is six by six. He used to say, that's fascinating. It's so big. I really don't know how you miss a barn. Can you explain that to me as we ran our next lap? But, you know, shooters, I always thought, came in, in two kind of faces. One is a natural shooter. These are the guys who look at the goal and they see the net. And I can tell you from all my years with Matt Rambo, he looked at the goal and the natural thing he saw was the net. It just jumped at him. And that's where he shot the ball, at the net. The rest of us, I think 70% or more, look at the goal and we see the goalie. And that's naturally what we hit. And so we almost have to learn to check ourselves in nanoseconds, find net, and then put the ball there. And it's hard. It's hard for lots of guys. And if you're not born with the natural gift, it's something you have to train at. And I'm sure you see this all the time, no, without a doubt. I, I think the mentality piece is one that you can practice, too. You know, you've, you've got to have a, a mindset of, of drilling the ball, you know, beyond the goalie. You know, whether or not that's seeing the net's one thing and then seeing the goalie is another. And, and I think there's muscle memory, obviously, involved in, in the mechanics and proper form and hiding your hands and doing all those things. Um, but it's a pet peeve of mine for inside shooting or, you know, when you're in your range – in practice, guys, you know, tossing the ball at the goal. I'm like, no, you, you, this is muscle memory. This is mental muscle memory as well to think about, you know, how you're putting the ball up the pipes, how you're shooting it, uh, and doing that every time because it's it's a gift to be able to put the ball there. And to your point, there, it's it's hard work. There's if you're born with it, that's one thing. But but like you say, most everybody else has to work at it. You know, one of one of the things we say to to you know, frankly, to, from Episcopal guys all the way to PLL guys is don't hope it goes in. You know, we've done a lot of work with metrics and, and clean saves to me are a turnover. Uh, so, you know, finding a range, 
uh, you know, knowing where you're on the field, know what your strengths and weaknesses are, knowing your scouting report, you know, when you're about to make that decision whether or not to shoot, you're not hoping, you know, you're, there's got to be a confidence level there. You know, you, you've got to think that thing's going in the back of the net, uh, and you've got to avoid situations where you're putting your team in a situation where you've taken a bad shot, it's a clean save, and then it's going the other direction. That's great. Can you give me an, an example of some shooting drills that you're doing with Episcopal kids that maybe you're not doing with the pros or some things you're doing with the pros that maybe you're not even letting the high school guys do? From a mechanic standpoint, I went to a, uh, a clinic that Deemer class and, and Ryan Brown did. Sure. Uh, and I just thought both of those two guys were, were excellent. And it's it's the most simple and there's just a lot of duke drills that that i think you find and we just call it out down through where it's just you're you're mimicking an alley dodge but you're basically standing with if if i'm in the left hand alley i'm about five by five and my right foot is on a cone i take a step out i take a step down i take a step through and i i get rid of all the extra you know fluff in my stick work and my stick is quiet and i point my butt end to the bottom low corner and i drill the ball there and you know, that those fundamentals, kids just are not used to that kind of repetition. They're, they're just not used to um, being slowed down that much with their feet, with their hands, with their eyes. Um, and we do that all the time. We'll do the same thing where we'll, we'll face the goal. We'll, we'll, island shooting, we'll, we'll just face the other direction. You know, if, if I'm on the right-hand side and it's basically a J-dodge or a question dodge, but I, I hold my hands out, you know, I, I, I then switch my hands as I roll back and you know, again, get rid of all the extra motion, but it, it reinforces all the, the proper fundamentals, and those reps are really good. We could do a whole show on this, step-down shooting, inside shooting, midfield yeah. shooting, on the run, <laughs> tack shooting. Yep. But they're great insights, Coach. You know, uh, looking back at our scouting reports at LaSalle, we would always star the natural shooters, so the goalie knew, you need to be worried about these three guys. The rest are going to throw it at you, but those guys are going to put it somewhere where you're going to have to save it. So know where they are. Nope. Understanding angles and where you're on the field and all that. You can teach guys that, you know, and that helps your percentage. But to your point, the guys that put it at the back of the net do. They're, everybody else is a little bit of a ham and egger and, ham and <laughs> they, they got to work for it a little more. We'll have you back next show just to do shooting for like an hour. Love okay? it. Love it. Moving on to our next section, our culture building. I get so many great emails and texts from dads who coach Little League or my friends in the business world. It seems everybody likes our New Zealand all black topics and we've moved through three of them and I wanted to move on to point four out of five which is simply the idea from the All Blacks that we need to keep a blue head and so I've been reading from their book a little bit lately and here's what they say about point four keeping a blue head following their premature exit at the 2003 World Cup the All Blacks worked with forensic psychiatrist Siri Evans to understand how the brain works under pressure they wanted to overcome their habit of choking. A redhead is an unresourceful state in which you are off task, panicked, and ineffective. A bluehead, on the other hand, is an optimal state in which you are on task and performing to your best ability. The all blacks would use trigger words or trigger actions to switch from a red to a blue head. Richie McCollum, for example, would stamp his feet, literally grounding himself while Kieran Reed stares at the furthest point in the stadium, searching for a bigger picture, keeping him in the moment. Using these triggers, the players aim to achieve clarity and accuracy so that they can perform under pressure. And I thought that was really well said. Coach Resch, our guest from our previous show, he had taught me, we applied it at LaSalle about Team USA and how when it got off task, they would often say, the coaches would say, check in, and then all the players needed to respond all in. And this is kind of an example, I think, of having a, a, red, a blue head when your red head takes over. And we would see this at LaSalle, especially with teenage boys, they would drift. We were off task or there was a young man frustrated about something. But having this kind of mantra that we would call them in and have them mindfully recall brought them back to a centeredness, almost a, a type of trigger. So, Coach, any thoughts on blue head, red head from no, your program? No, I mean, I, I think it's important. I think focus is critical, especially in, in those important moments in a game. And, and you appreciate the competitiveness, right? I mean, you, 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 we had a face-off kid last year who just was so emotional, you know, and but to a detriment, right? And, and you know, I felt like I, as a coach, I was a, 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 an amateur psychologist, and I literally would put my arm around him just to, to help him understand that there was a next play and, and we had to keep moving. 
Um, you know, it's essentially a waste of emotion, really, as I look at it. And, and in some ways, the way we talk about it and teach it, it's, it's selfish and a distraction. You know, if, if you're losing your mind, if you're yelling at the refs, and it just doesn't bring value. Um, you know, as a coach, when was the last time you ranted and raved and the ref actually changed his call, <laughs> right? I mean, you just realize that there's, there's, there's not a lot that's going to come out of this. And, you know, as a coach, I wish I was a saint. And I generally, you know, 95% of the refs I really like as people, uh, you know, but as refs, it's frustrating, right? And to, to your point, I think you do have to check your emotions and, and realize that there's not – you know, your team, and I speak from a coaching standpoint right now, I mean, your, your team's going to take that lead. And I think that consistency, uh, you know, of, of being steady. And I watch, you know, I watch all college and pro coaches like you guys do. And to see, you know, guys just remain even keeled. There are times for emotion, you know, th th that's okay. But, you know, you quickly have to toggle back and, and realize that there's a purpose and you have to get back on task. And, and that's hard, but you can train it, I, I do believe. And that reminds me of, what we talked about last week was follow the spearhead, which was another point of the New Zealand All Blacks. And what Chris said there resonates with me watching our younger coaches at next sometimes and giving them the feedback of, you look like a lunatic right now. And that ref doesn't really care what you're saying. And the kids who are behind you, um, you could be helping them right now. And you could have your arm around them and be teaching. Um, and instead, we're, we're wasting emotion on the ref. So um, I think for me, the, this topic is really something I'm trying to be more mindful of. And this past weekend at Box Across, had to check myself a couple times, just getting a little too intense in there and uh, kind of redirecting that energy in a more positive way helped me. Yeah, you only have so much energy. So it's either going to be focused toward how you're performing or how you're coaching or not. You know, and my experience with Team USA, we had the uh, comment of palms up you're just an energy vampire so when a, a kid's up frustrated about his face off and he looks at the ref and he puts his palms up that's exactly what we're talking about as not keeping a blue head that's redhead stuff and it's also taking away from progress the face off's over let's move on back to work the referee didn't get it wrong and if he did he hasn't changed it like coach said so this idea of keeping your palms down staying on task working hard at the game and focusing on the next task at hand because that palm up moment is over and what it signals to your teammates just thinks and frankly you can I, I believe that you can practice this too I think you practice bad calls you, you practice you know pushes you, you practice you know pressure situations so that your guys are winning and losing and there's something on the line and you're teaching them how to react at, in those moments so that when it, the lights are really on that, that they're prepared they've gone through it you've had that teaching moment and, and hopefully you've you know, you've advanced beyond some of the some of the waste the last thing I would say there is something I've heard Scott Radliff say on a podcast before, that sports give kids this safe environment to fail, where if you play sports, you're going to fail, and you're going to have tough times and adversity. So um, just like you're saying, practice it and get used to it and learn how to be more mindful and better manage it. Thanks, guys. My favorite part of the show is our guests, and obviously we have a good one here today. He's an old friend. We used to carpool to our wings practices. Remember those days, Coach? Yes, we did. Dropped me off in Center <laughs> City. We won't say why. <laughs> Moving on home. And I really valued those days. And uh, obviously, you're an outstanding coach. And um, having your insights and your Drexel thoughts and your Princeton thoughts and now your pro thoughts. And surely you were somebody tough to deal with from LaSalle versus Episcopal. I think we scrimmaged a couple times, but we didn't play. Good battles. Yeah, all good stuff. So we have a whole bunch of great questions for you, but I think I wanted to start with like your youth experience. Where did you start? Any amazing coaches that you look back and say touched your life? And um, then on to high school in Dartmouth. No, I'm happy to, you know, chime in and ask as we go. But, you know, I was you know, sort of a typical kid that just played every sport. You know, was happiest outside, you know, banging around. I was a soccer guy, a football guy, a baseball guy, a basketball guy, just, just about anything. Um, you know, and as, as time moved on, you know, I realized that I, I probably – you know, I like bumping into guys a little bit, so I couldn't hit a curveball, and soccer just is, you know, is soccer and just wasn't my thing, really. I, you know, I like the physicality, but there just wasn't enough of it. Um, you know, and then one day my parents worked in, in the high school uh, where I went, and, and a, 
a varsity player came into my house one day with a couple of cross sticks and I was probably in sixth grade, which, you know, for the listeners out there, it's, it seems like how, geez, how late that is to, so, yeah. to first get a stick in your hands. But that, that just was the nature. And I, you know, I come from actually a lacrosse area to some degree. And, you know, it was that moment where somebody put a hand in my sticks and put a hand in, a stick in my hand, excuse me. And, you know, that magic begins. You just have that, that you connect with it immediately. And, and, you know, I look at myself 51, you know, years <laughs> into this world and, and I'm, I still, every time I pick up a stick, I love it. I feel it. There's, you know, there's just something to it. Um, so, you know, I looked up, there were, there were uh, a couple guys, some, some guys two years older than me uh, who were kind of ahead of the curve and, and the sport was gaining popularity in my high school and athletes were playing it. And, you know, these guys I looked up to just kind of took me under their wing a little bit. And um, I remember playing, you know, on a back grass field and, and a guy by the name of Mike Honey, was a, a rival uh, high school player, and he just said, "Hey, you're going to be good at this game. You got you got to stick with it, you know." And you get a couple of those messages. I remember being at a basketball camp, and Ted George Alice, who's a legendary coach uh, up in Westchester County, and Kyle is a, a great coach at Army now. You know, he's you know, I'm five eight, right? I'm never really going to be a basketball player. Um, you know, he pulls me aside. He's like, "You got to play lacrosse. Like that. That's that's where you're. You know, where where you should be heading." Um, and remembered ninth grade, just being an athlete and a JV coach believed in me. There were four tenth grade or three tenth grade attackmen uh, who wanted to play together. And the JV coach kind of pulled one of those guys out and put me in, much to the dismay of certainly the guy that was on the bench, but then the other two guys. And, you know, just sort of off and running. And, and the game has just been, you know, a driving force in my life. And um, had a, a fun high school career, and, and it's opened up so many doors. You know, one being, as you say, going going to Dartmouth, and you know, having a really you know phenomenal experience there. It's just it's it's a special place. I have my best friends on earth are, are from there. Um, you know, and having the opportunity to, to play college across at a high level in the Ivies, and uh, you know, frankly, when I was there, didn't I had some role models that I wouldn't necessarily choose to follow. But B.J. O'Hara got there when I was a freshman, and B.J. had come from um, from Hobart, where he was an assistant, and you know, in the midst of, of Hobart's you know ten year run with Coach Coach Urich at the helm, um, and we systematically started to build a winning program and could compete at the highest level and. And just kind of found those guys that were, were geared and focused towards doing the right things and becoming accountable and committed to it. And, you know, I was really proud of, of the, the trajectory that we had while I was there. Um, unfortunately, BJ left before my senior year to go back to Hobart to take the head coaching job when, when Coach Eric went to Georgetown. Um, and then Tim Nelson was my head coach uh, my senior year. But had, had good experiences there and, and um, you know, the lacrosse thing just kind of continued playing club and – uh, was living in New York City and, uh, you know, just didn't know what to do with myself and, and ended up playing for New York Athletic Club uh, just because I could. The, you know, the guy's like, well, you can come out and play for the B team. I'm like, mm, uh, you know, I, I don't know. that. Yeah. I'm a competitor. When's the, like, when's the 18 practice? Yeah, when's the 18 practice? I'm going <laughs> to give that one a shot. And, and you know, it's just kind of my nature of, of just kind of you know, scratching and clawing and, and you know, just stayed around the game and have continued to stay around the game. And, you know, I could bore you with with more of the, the path, but um, ultimately got involved playing indoor lacrosse. Um, wanted to try a bunch of the guys for New York Athletic Club were, were playing for the New York Saints at that point. And I called the GM at that time and I said, you know, how do I get a tryout? I just want to, you know, I can play with these guys. I think I'm, I'm, I'm capable. And the, the guy said, ah, we're good. We're full. We, we, we're, we're not interested. Um, and then happenstance – uh, John Nugent was a friend of mine who played club ball and I bumped into him on, on New York City street going to walk to my girlfriend's house at the time and he's like hey I'm trying out for the wings hmm. I'm like you live in Hoboken and I live in Manhattan and long story short I got in touch with Mike French and, and he's like sure you can come down and try out so Nugent and I would, would drive down and, and shocked me because I had never played indoor lacrosse I didn't know it was you know one handed essentially knew nothing about the rules but decided I was going to compete um, and, you know, made, made that team and, and, you know, just kind of then really got on that trajectory of staying involved in the game and started my coaching career. Wasn't really sure what I wanted to do, but well, actually, we should talk about the old Archbishop yeah, Ryan should. days, Coach Lee. rivalry days. I, I, still, I still hold that if there was a teaching job at Archbishop Ryan, which was the largest, at that point, it was the largest Catholic school in the country, I yeah. think. Um, they could, could, could have cared less about lacrosse, but I was there. Um, 
you know, as their first, we sort of a JV program to start, but it's, it's fun to see how those Archbishop Ryan guys are still involved in the game and that program uh, is still in existence. But anyway, that was my first coaching job just because I didn't know what else to do with myself. I wanted to be around the game. I loved it. Um, and from there, just Randy Voigt, Voigt Coach Voigt, um, hired me at Drexel just through, uh, you know, a club connection from Eagles Eye or MAB. You know, Chris Hupfeld put me in touch and, you know, just kind of have, have stayed in the game since. Um, so I'm rambling. I, if you guys want to ask questions wow, as we go. They were our first showdowns. Those Ryan versus LaSalle games in 1992. They were something to behold. Chris did a good job answering our first 22 questions there. <laughs> Sorry I went on yeah, and on, guys. He was prepared. I Is that the it. shot clock section or the shot clock break? I was going to ask, uh, what, what year did you start at Drexel? I think it was 92 or 93. 92. Okay. And what would you say uh, became like kind of the identity of the program or just talk a little bit about what you built there? Because I think um, from my perspective, you made you did a lot of good work there uh, with a lot of good men. No, I, it's I'm, I'm really proud of, of all that we accomplished there and the foundation we built because there really was not a lot there. You know, Coach Voigt was a, a, a an athletic administrator, a PE teacher. You know, it was barely a Division three program, and we're playing the Delawares and Towsons and, you know, real deal programs with, with a lot of history. And Drexel had, had, you know, a bump in the 70s where they were, you know, pretty solid, and then it just kind of went by the wayside a little bit. And there was always potential there because it's such a good school. Um but it, it just was fun to, to help build with really good people, um, you know, just a, a, a tough-ass program. You, yeah. know, you don't want to play us. Just, you know, we were going to fight you, and, and we didn't always have the, the most talent. But, you know, we just started to build, and more and more really good people and tough athletes, you know, kind of decided to come get a cooperative education and, and, and you know, get themselves, a, a, you know, a great uh, you know, college academic experience and, and play Division One lacrosse. And we just kind of kept notching away and, and finding guys that wanted to compete. And So it was nice of you to say Delaware. I think I remember <laughs> you guys actually beating schools like Virginia as well. Um, but who are some of the players and leaders during your time at Drexel that stand out? Now, there were some good ones, and, and I still stay in touch with, with all of them. You know, Kevin Dart was one of my favorites. Sure. No you know, Dart. you know, obviously, the Avados, uh, who, who are near and dear to my heart. Uh, but the Ridley guys, you know, we, we, you know, that's where we were recruiting. You know, Jay Kilpatrick and Patrick Friel and Michael Hagan and, and all those guys. Um, you know, we just looked for kind of tough blue-collar kids that, that wanted to compete. And, yep, we lost to, we lost to Delaware 23 straight years. Um, and I remember the moment where, and you know, there was just a lot of those moments where we just got over the hump. Sure. We beat Towson for the first time. We beat Delaware for the first time. And then you, then you expect it, That's awesome. you know, and then 2007, you, you beat, you beat Virginia and there's just this belief and this foundation that, you know, this was a place you can come and win games. Yeah. Things have changed. Nice. So yeah, a name that stands out for me from Drexel to Princeton would be the Ambler family. Um, I got to play and coach with Colin and then I got to coach Ryan a little bit and I remember when he announced he was going to Princeton to play for you and how special that was for their family. Um, could you just share more about um, coaching the Amblers and then really the, the start of the experience at Princeton? Sure it, it was uh, you know for me it was a really hard decision frankly to, to go to Princeton because I you know put my heart and soul into to, to building a culture and a community at, at, at Drexel um, and so, yeah, the Ambler connection is, is, is a neat one. You know, the thing at Drexel is everything was a first. At Princeton, you're going to somewhere where everything had already been achieved. You know, you look at the mantle and you're like, wow, there's six national championship trophies here. There's a little different expectation. But as a competitor and a coach, that's what I, you know, that's what I dreamed of. That's what, you know, as a professional, I, I, I had as an aspiration for sure. Um, and then to surround yourself with people like the Amblers, you know, Go back to that Virginia game. Colin Ambler in his first freshman game scores the game tying goal with 13 seconds to go, and the game winning goal with with you know three seconds to go. And those memories are forever, right? That's just the historic, you know, kind of landmark for that program. Um, and Colin had an awesome career and was a really really solid player, um, and and ultimately coached with us at Princeton as well, which yeah. is kind of cool. But then you know, remembering Ryan when I recruited Colin, um, and I remember seeing. Uh, you know, Ryan was up to my knee, uh, you know, when we're having a football toss and, you know, you fast forward and, you know, he's a, he, he can play like Ryan could shoot the ball, but, you know, did a little bit of everything. Um, so to, to, to see that connection and see Ryan, 
you know, put himself in a position to get to a place like Princeton Absolutely. was really gratifying as a coach because I love the family, um, you know, and, and to see his career. And then fast forward, you know, he's playing for me for the Archers yeah. right now. So it's, it's just neat. You know, it's, it, it's a fun, a great experience at Princeton, clearly, just having that, that, uh, that opportunity to, to, to be part of a program like that, to, to, to spearhead, you know, a lot of success, certainly not, you know, to the level ultimately that we really wanted to, but, you know, I have fond memories for sure. A little introspection. What was it like to follow in the footsteps of Bill Tierney? That's not an easy shadow. No, but you know, Coach T has always been a mentor to me. He, he is a better person than he is a coach, really. And and you know, that's probably overstated, you know, or cliche. But he, he was always so good to me as a young coach. Um, always looked up. I was a Princeton fan just because you couldn't help as an Ivy League guy and just to see what they accomplished. Um, you know, but to, to follow in his footsteps professionally, you know, not easy, uh, you know, just with, you know, with, with what they accomplished. But, I, you know, I, I'll hold my head high, you know, and, and our my assistants and staff and everybody that played there, I think we'll always hold our heads, hold our, our heads very high for what we did accomplish. Yeah, you know, don't, you should, don't, yeah daunting tasks, right? But at the end of the day, you know, I, I, we, we had we had some 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 good solid wins. Some, I just looked at the all decade team. Uh, and look back at all those guys and just take great pride in, you know, just a lot of, a lot of really talented guys. So, you know, it was, it was a fun experience. I, I wouldn't recommend following Coach T's footsteps <laughs> anywhere, really, just because he wins everywhere he goes and, yeah, you know, bla- stuff, blazes yeah. that trail. So, Now, what do you think of high school lacrosse? From collegiate to high school lacrosse, do you see a magnificent difference, a little bit different, similar, but not? Well, I mean, the unique thing is to be at a place like Episcopal where it's as high a a high school level really as there is um you know we play in interact which is you know filled with with talented players certainly but uh, you know the thing that that really strikes me is how good the coaches are in high school um you know any any really good high school coach could certainly coach in college the game's not really that much different we just have more time more resources you know but to coach against John Nostrant and Billy Leahy and and John McAvoy and Tom Lemieux and all, you know all these guys out there that are that are really good you know it's different you're you're meeting you know the the the, the game's similar right you're teaching fundamentals you're teaching life skills um, you know, all those things that you do as a mentor and a coach, uh, but you're just meeting a boy at a different stage in life, if that makes sense. You know, the thing I'd say, it, it's, I remember sitting in my first high school meeting um, with captains, and I looked around, I'm like, it, all of a sudden the light bulb went on my head. I'm like, you guys have never been captains before, have you? Like, you've never been in this position Typically, right, because when you're a senior in high school is really the first time you're a captain unless you're a football captain or something. You know, meanwhile, in, in college at a place like Drexel or Princeton, every kid has been a captain. Every, everybody's been in a leadership position. Um, so you're, 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 you're getting more granular in how you're teaching leadership and, and the account, all the things we're talking about. Um, so I've, I've really enjoyed that process. I feel like for me it's, it's a great fit right now. Um, so, yeah, we're having a ton of fun. How about now that you're seeing – club lacrosse and recruiting from a different perspective. Any thoughts on both of those, both dealing with guys who are playing club and high school at the same time and the recruiting process from the high school perspective? Right. There's challenges, right? I mean, there's, I'm a, I'll, I'll, I'll go to my deathbed being a multi-sport guy, right? I, I just believe in guys playing basketball and soccer and football and hockey and all that. Um, but the club thing serves a really good purpose. There, there are really good coaches. There's really good exposure that, that can happen. There's really good training that can happen. So for those, you know, families that are serious about, about developing, like the club thing is, is, is really good. There's really great value there. Um, and there's got to be a balance, right? I mean, there's the, the year-round thing you can struggle with. Um, you know, you want to have priorities set. Uh, but you know, the pressure and thankfully the, the recruiting timetable has, has changed, right? Like that's a, that's a game changer because when kids were being recruited as ninth graders, it it threw everybody out of whack. It it was, you know, I I thought it was unhealthy just because it, it, it skewed youth sports. It skewed how, how families were approaching training. And I just thought it was, was a bad situation. So it's, I'm, I'm proud that we changed that. Just to jump in there, Coach, when you were at Princeton and those top lacrosse schools are looking at the top freshmen, as crazy as that was, what's that like for an Ivy League coach going, these kids don't even have any grades yet, and Syracuse just committed some kid? 
No, I mean, I, I joke Joey Epstein, who's he's going to be a great one. You know, was in my office before setting foot in Landon, I'm, and I'm calling. Really? You know, Rob Bordley, Coach Bordley at Landon. He's like, I don't know. He's never played for me either, and I'm I'm recruiting smartly, right? I mean, the kid's going to you know he's yeah. one of the best ones out there. Uh, it, it just was a flawed system, and you're like, hey, if you you know you're talking hypotheticals, if you're a three seven and hear your hear your SATs. You know, here's you'll, you'll be admissible. We try to get in the game with the big timers, um, but it was a you know it was a crazy because at that point too people weren't really decommitting. So if you right. made that decision, you're kind of stuck with it. If and that, less poaching, much less poaching, right? Yeah. Much, but now if I were there and it was still ninth grade commitment, I'd poach away. I mean, I sure. would. It, you just have to. You have to wait. And the value because you know think about it being a parent. If you're going to X, Y, or Z school, and then all of a sudden you've opened the door potentially to go to you know, one of these big-time academic institutions, you have to take advantage of that. Life-changing. Yep. So, uh, but the, yeah, that was a challenge for sure, that, that whole process. Yeah, how many times did you talk me off the ledge on the phone when I called <laughs> and say, my freshman just committed to Hopkins. He hasn't even made my team yet in the spring. <laughs> no, and what a pain that is then to coach that kid. I mean, that, it's, it's not, it's, you know, it's hard to blame them, but, you know, they're already playing for Coach Brescia or Coach Myers or Coach somebody, and it's like, you know, it just was, it was a backwards. It's, yeah, know, I'd put so him on JV because he was 14. He was a boy. The senior, not going to college, but was a all-Catholic wrestler, was just a man. And that's where he should be. Oh, you thought everybody would just melt down at that point. So how about recruiting? Any specific advice for parents and players today since you've been on both sides of the fence? Uh, I, you know, the biggest thing, and I think it does sound a little bit cliche, but I, I do think it's really the, the, the greatest truth, and that's control what you can control. Uh, you know, you can, you, you can only do so much in the process itself. You can't control you know, certain aspects of, of, um, what, a, what, a you know, you may be interested in this school, but that school may not be interested in your type of play or your, t- you know, it's, it's in the eye of the beholder. And to try to, you know, help parents understand that is, you know, parents today want to force feed their kid to a certain, you know, few schools. Um, but those might not necessarily be the best fit. So controlling what you control, I think is, is an important one. Um, you know, you, you, you want your son or daughter, you know, to, to own the process and put themselves in the best position academically to open up doors and then to keep developing their game so that they're as good as they can be. That's what they can control. Parents essentially can't control a lot in this process except to support their kid, you know, not get them out of whack emotionally, you know, trying to, to shoot for the stars. And that may not be realistic. Um, and then the second piece is, is just, you know, really trying to find the right and best fit for, for your, your, your son or daughter. You know, it might not be Penn State, which is a giant school. You know, maybe the best lacrosse program, but that may be too big for somebody or maybe the right place. And, and I think finding the fit and going through the process, we, it, it gets a little backwards because a lot of kids, you know, want to go where they're recruited. I'm like, no, 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 no. You, you have some cards in this game. You have to steer your own ship and find the best and right place. Um, you know, and we looked at it. We can talk about, you know, my sons go, are going to two very different places and are very, they're very different learners, you know, and, and have ultimately found the right places as a result, I think, of, you know, taking that approach. Um, so, you know, it, it, it's a hard situation for a parent to be because there's so much stress. But at the end of the day, you just have to let the process unfold and, and have some balance and perspective. Yeah, you touched on my next question, which was how has this been for you as a dad? Uh, you know what? It, it, there's pressure. Um, but going through the whole club process and being a youth parent, frankly, I've just I've taken great pride in just being dad and just trying to, you know, enjoy the time with my son, Nick, when, when it was just he and I and, and now with Charlie and, and valuing that experience and trying to put them in a position to, to keep working hard, keep learning the right lessons. Um, you know, but at the end of the day that, you know, that they, they both found great places. Charlie's going to Lafayette, mm-hmm. um, which Coach is Myers. Phenom- yeah, phenomenal school and, and building and, and standing for all the right things. And they're, they're, they're going to be really good. And, and Nick, um, you know, my son was a little bit, I think more of a late bloomer, but off the charts academically, <laughs> you know, clearly takes after mom. He's also, he's also six foot, so he clearly takes after mom. <laughs> six foot. I remember him at my house yeah, being a, just he's a big up boy. to my he's knees. 180-something. Um, <laughs> but, you know, he had options that, that were probably not the right academic fit, but maybe, I'm not going to say better lacrosse, but Division One lacrosse. And he's going to Williams, which is a phenomenal academic institution. And, you know, from a Division Three standpoint, they're, they're, you know, Final Four last year and preseason number one this year. So we're, we're thrilled. Um, but again, it's hard to, to keep that perspective, but it's, I think it's been a pretty healthy process. 
Coach, next thing we wanted to hit on was a little box lacrosse. I know that you played for the Wings in the day. Um, I also know that you're involved with Episcopal, getting those guys playing box lacrosse, and um, and maybe even helping some youth groups in Philadelphia have access to playing box lacrosse. So, um, quickly wanted to touch on the value and you know why kids should be doing that. No, it, it's a it's a great um, training. Uh, opportunity for kids you, you know the, the you can't hide number one so you, you have to play physically you have to play in tight um, your stick work has to be on point you have to keep moving uh, you know to finish the ball playing indoor lacrosse you have to hide your hands you have to move a goalie you have to know your angles um, the game has so much you know pick play in it on and off ball that there's no better way to to, to train that and teach that so no it's it's uh we value it certainly from from an episcopal standpoint uh but I, you know I, I highly recommend it for you know for all young kids and also playing both hands too the thing that kids don't like to do but should do is, is play box with their offhand and kids kids can't stand that you know they, they bristle against it but there's nothing better because you're getting whacked on and you have to take a check and, and run through it with your offhand I like the box because when you get in there, everything's just magnified, right? If you have an anger issue, then you have a severe temper issue in the box. And you get multiple touches offensively and, and just the whole idea of toughness. you got to give and take within 30 seconds at both ends of the rink while you're subbing. I just think it's a great experience for guys. So when they get outside, it's almost like they died and went to heaven with all that space. You know? Absolutely. I remember when you went to Canada. Can you tell us a little bit about that? You went out there. After your first season or second season I with the did. Wings, I played for the Wings. You know, kind of made the team and 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 was a bit of a scrub early on for the first two years. And and f- for all my efforts, couldn't scratch the lineup. Uh, had a job in, in New York City, uh, and was quitting. And had the opportunity to have some time. So Dallas Elliott offered his basement, and uh, <laughs> I lived the summer and played for the Burnaby Lakers. Uh, and uh, really had a, had, a, had a great experience. You know, certainly toughened up, that was for sure. I, I didn't know what I didn't know, and I learned very quickly that there's a survival there. And being a guy that was quick and darty, you know, with, with that less space, you know, they, they were coming to find me, and they were going to teach me a lesson. I was one of the – I think I might – I actually think I was one of the very first Americans to play in the WLA. Um, so there was a little bit of pomp around it. There was a little bit of noise around it. So they wanted to make sure I, I learned some lessons <laughs> And I did. I, I caught some between the eyes and, and learned how to fight back a little bit. So, uh, But it was a great experience, and I wouldn't trade it for the world. Watching your teams throughout the years, I've always noticed your pair's offense. And how we drifted just to a two-man game like East-West out on the wing. But pair's a little more complicated than that. So where did you come up with? I know, what, I know you didn't invent it, but how are your pair's offense, and why were you dedicated to it? And it was surely a lot of fun to watch. Could you tell our audience a little bit more about what that offense is, how it works, and why you're a fan? Yeah, sure. I mean, I just have always believed in it being difficult to defend. And it was really born out of playing Virginia, to be honest with you. You know, back in the day when you had Matt Ward and Danny Gladding and Connor Gill and ex attackmen, I, I realized we were never our second. Our second team was never as good as, or excuse me, our starters were never as good as their second team. Like I wasn't going to show them anything in a game that they had not seen in practice. So, you know, not until Colin Ambler, frankly, we we just really didn't have an ex attackman. So up until that point, we just needed to be different. We needed to be creative. We needed to take away crease slides. We needed to cause confusion with picks on ball and picks off ball. You know, we realized in a college setting that if you only have, you know, really two, maybe three days to prepare, like that was going to be a challenge. You know, you were going to have a hard time really trying to, to, to you know, mimic that in, in, a, in a scout setting. So um, the nice part about college, you can start to recruit guys that fit that mold too. So we'd find kind of two-handed, you know, two-hand cradle guys or guys that played with their head up, could play in tight, like to cut off ball. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of value to, to, I think the principles behind it. We use it in the PLL, uh, because it's, it's effective. Um, you know, when Tom Schreiber is running with Ben McIntosh, something good is going to happen. You know, it just is. And, and the nice part is it's not scripted. I've never been a guy. I was never a scripted player myself. I never was successful when somebody said, go to point A to point B. It just, my brain didn't work that way. So there's a lot of read, react. It's a motion offense that, you know, allows decision-making. So you're, you're making those shooting decisions that we talked about earlier. And if it's a bad one, then, you know, you're going to know it. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it's, you know, you, you, have to be able to think, you have to be able to move. The beauty of the pairs concept too is 
you're working with one other guy, so you can't fall asleep. The thing that always struck me with field offenses is I, I always had trouble as an offensive coordinator figuring out what to do with five and six. You can do the dummy exchange, but you know, as a defensive coordinator, I'm like, this is if you can keep guys engaged, uh, if you can keep guys from a wing dodge, if everybody's above goal line, that's hard to defend. You know, that's hard to defend. You have six guys above goal line. If you're sliding, there's quick hit looks. Uh, as opposed to, you know, again, going back to the Virginia thing, we felt like every, so much of what they did would go through X that if we just sat and, and, and let that stuff pass and stay above goal line because we couldn't cover them, you know, we just, we just had to try to slow the game down. So Paris has been good, you know. We call it ocean now, open motion. Um, but it's, it's fun. I think guys like playing it too. And I love watching the good picks, slips, and seals, and that they're all really different things. And when they're done well, you talked about chaos. Boy, when two guys go to that ball and one guy's sitting there, chaos is following, and it's all good chaos yep. on the offensive end. Yeah, we mentioned Ryan Ambler earlier. You mentioned Tom Schreiber. A lot of people would say uh, probably the best player in the world right now when he's healthy. Um, could you give us a minute on what makes him special, what you saw him do on his own in college, and how you've seen him grow, and what it's like to continue coaching him. Sure. Uh, you know, Tom's near and dear to my heart just because he, he's such a quality human being, first and foremost, and comes from a, a wonderful family. Uh, Tom's a competitor, first and foremost. You know, he, he there's a will to win, a will to compete, a will to do it the right way that, that is really it's, – it's pretty unique. You know, you put on top of that, you know, how hard he's worked at his craft – uh, and you watch, and he'll give a lot of credit, I'm sure, to his dad and also to the St. Anthony's program where he grew up. But just, you know, being trained the right way and, and shooting on the run uh, full speed and, and layering dodges, uh, you know, is just something that, you know, that's that lonely work that you do on your own that he's done it. And you just watch the joy he has in playing and competing. Uh, so it's been fun. It's, you know, I joke because he asked me when he was at Princeton, you know, what do you think? Do you think I could play you know, indoor lacrosse? I'm like, I think so. I wanted you know, to ask but, you if you convinced yeah, him. Oh, I, I said from the get-go. But we also tried, you know, and he'll tell you this. My, I preached to him early, slow down. You know, the, the slow down. See, Not that I'm teaching him to see the game because he's got such a beautiful vision. But you can play the game slower in tighter spaces and still be effective. Um, you know, and you can layer some things. And I, and I think he's, you know, he's just worked so hard and continued to develop. He's a really good off-ball player. Um, you know, he tells me he wants to play a little defense this year in the PLL. <laughs> We're, we'll, we'll see about that. I'm not quite I'm not convinced that's going to ha happen a whole that's lot. That's amazing. Um, but just a great leader and a great captain, too. So That's awesome. Any final thoughts on the PLL to share with our audience of, you know, what people can expect next or um, what's coming from your team? We'll see. we got to protect 10 guys, so there's some changes up front with the seventh team. But, I, you know, by, by all metrics, I, I think, I mean, the product is off the charts, I think. You know, there's times when I'm on the sideline where I'm as much a fan as I am a coach just because yeah. it's, it's so electric. The talent level is so off the charts. Uh, the compete level is, is through the roof. Uh, so I'd expect that to continue. You know, the TV, watching that game on TV is, is, is really a lot of fun. It's the camera angles and the NBC attention to, to you know, detail is, is really good. Um, you know, I'm not a social media guy, I'm, you know, begrudgingly, but, you know, the social media <laughs> stuff, there's a lot of content too. So you're just seeing, you know, a really well thought out business plan and seeing this game reach a lot of different markets and being supported in a way that our game has never been supported, at least financially. The people behind this are, are, are used to being successful in what they do. Um, so, you know, it seems to me it's all systems go and there's a lot of positive things ahead. That's great. Well, thanks for your part in it. Uh, we're definitely watching and I'm following on social media. If you aren't, I know all the young guys that are playing are lucky to have that. So um, we're drinking the Kool-Aid. So Chris, one topic we wanted to talk about was the shootout for Soldiers event. I know you play a role in pulling off the Philadelphia part of that tour. Tell us more about that. Thanks for asking. It, it's, it's been a really cool, actually, labor of love. When I first got to Episcopal, I have two lacrosse guys who are my bosses, and they sort of pitched the idea because they had been involved in Baltimore, and Episcopal is such a perfect place for it. And essentially what it is, it's 24 one-hour lacrosse games in a row uh, that serve veteran causes. You know, so it's a, it's, it's a fundraiser. It's a great opportunity for young kids to understand how to give back and also to, to learn about what our country is, is built upon and, and people who go out and serve and, and protect our freedoms uh, and democracy. So there, there's just a lot of value in a lot of ways. And it's also a ton of fun. It's a great event. There are father-son games. There are alum games. Uh, we have an EA faculty game where there's kids, the head of school. 
Um, and it just, it, you know, like I said, just goes to, to serve good causes. One of them that's kind of near and dear to, to Coach Leahy and mine is, is the Travis Mannion uh, Foundation, and they just do phenomenal work. You know, so to be able to support them financially, Travis was a LaSalle guy, and, and Coach can talk about it, but played for me for a year at, at Drexel. But just, you know, that, that story is such a powerful one, and, and to be involved in something that, that can support people uh, like that is is just it's it's really powerful, and that's great. So we have a lot of listeners that are involved parents in their rec programs. So I guess who can sign up for Shootout for Soldiers, and how can our listening audience support? Just reach out to me just at Episcopal Seabates at episcopalacademy.org, uh, and we'll 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 loop you in with all the information. You can see it's in twelve or thirteen cities across the country. Yeah, Last humongous. year we raised a hundred thousand dollars. Every single penny goes to great causes, uh, and it's just a fun event to to be around, and and you feel good, and, and it's our game, and it's frankly it's it's Philadelphia. So we, you know I take great pride in and you know, our lacrosse community here stepping up, doing the right thing. And, you know, we're number three right now and we want to be number two, right? We, we want to get, get beyond Baltimore and get, go beat Long Island one of these days. And, but that's what Philly's about. We, we rise to the challenge. And uh, so anybody out there that wants to get involved, please, please let me know. Coach, thanks for all your great insights and thoughts. It's been a thrill to be with you again. And uh, it's my favorite part of the show. Rapid fire next homework. I'm going to shoot through. You got 10, 15 seconds on the shot clock. A little bit of homework, right? I'm going to ask you about homework for a player. Give me your answer, then homework for a parent, then a coach, and then we'll go with Coach Bates' latest recommended readings or listening. So, Got it. Ready for this? Yep. All right. Homework for a player. Uh, set a goal. Write it down. Make a plan. Um, you know, have a calendar. It's easy to set a goal. We all have them. You got to write it down and then you need an accountability buddy, whether it's a parent or a friend. Easy to set the goal, easy to have the plan, harder to, to stick with it. And I think if you have some accountability around that, you're going to get on that path of, of really good habits. Homework for a parent? Homework for a parent. Uh, TED Talks, youth sports. I couldn't find the specific one um, that I had found, but it was it, life-changing is too strong a way, a, a way to put it. But, you know, I've learned a lot just about, you know, getting in a car after a game with your kid and saying, I enjoyed watching you play and leave it at that. And, and just asking permission if they, if they want feedback because after a game there's emotion and if you're just bombarding them once they sit in the back seat, it's not positive. Yeah, John O'Sullivan, Changing the Game Project. That's where you found it. Got it. Thanks. I added one, which is I love watching you serve your sisters. How did you serve your sisters to my daughter? That's cool. All right, homework for a coach. Watch another practice, not of your sport. Um, I just think there's great value in watching other people. We have a, a new basketball coach at, at Episcopal right now. He's an alum. He's gonna Shane. Do, yeah, Shane's going to do a really good job. You know, but just watching different practices. You know, watching lacrosse practice is one thing, and you always pick up something. But watching, you know, football practices or soccer practices and just seeing how they train always gives, you know, you some new insight into different ways to, to do some similar things. What have you been reading or listening to lately? I'm not as much a podcast guy, though. I do check into you guys um, just because I'm not in the car a whole lot. But I just picked up The Talent Code by Daniel Coyle. Uh, really good. You can see why it's as well-received, you know, deep practice and, and value of mistakes and, and that. Um, you know, I think it's really good. And then the other one I'd recommend is The Obstacle is the Way. Um, Ryan Holiday. It's all based on kind of Marcus Aurelius stuff and just what – you know, opportunity presents through challenge and obstacle and, and just having a perspective there. Pat Carney, a friend of ours, um, recommended it through Dave Webster, who's the, the Dickinson coach who had his team read it. And, you know, Webby's a really good coach um, and does things the right way. And I, I picked it up and it's, there's great value. It's, it's good stuff. Thanks, Coach. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Bill. And Happy New Year to all of our listeners. Uh, thanks for the support. We wanted to remind you to subscribe and review our show on iTunes. Anyone that's leaving positive reviews and some uh, clue as to who they are, I'm throwing them a t-shirt as soon as I can. Um, if you have any questions or potential ideas or guests for us, please pass them on. Definitely helps us learn and it makes our show more interesting. So thanks for Coach Bates, Coach Leahy, and myself. We're signing off from the Navy Yard. Job, wow, a lot yeah. of talking. Yeah.